that was my uh, teenage female fangirl um, squeal of delight. Welcome to today's New Spirit Podcast. Super exciting. Adam Stern, eight times Australian freediving world record holder. A whole world of banter and silliness ensues in this episode, but there is actually tons of great information. He he broke and, and damaged permanently some of my ideas about freediving and equalising. This uh, episode is a head spinner. It's absolutely excellent. Adam Stern, he's so enthusiastic. I label him the Steve Irwin of freediving. He's, uh, he's a bloody character, and this is an excellent episode. I really enjoyed um, having this chat with Adam. And we're going to get to this interview in just a second. The deep dive today is focused around equalising. There's a whole ton of questions from the New Sparrow community. You're going to enjoy this. This is a very, very cool episode. I'm super excited. That's why you got the teenage girl screaming. Uh, I didn't do, do too well, but anyway... Um, couple of quick notifications before we hook in. Australian Blue Water Freedivers Classic, March 20th, 2020, hosted by the Coffs Harbour Blue Water Freedivers. It's uh, in Woolgoolga in New South Wales this year. There's a ton of awesome people going. If you want to improve your spearfishing, I'd encourage you to take a look at this comp. There's going to be a whole lot of really cool and interesting people there to chat with. And uh, if you want to compete, it's going to be awesome. So check it out on Facebook. If you just type in Australian Blue Water Freedivers Classic, I'd encourage you to check that out. A couple of quick shout-outs. Some reviews of the podcast. My favourite. <clears throat> Reese Clay says, hilarious and informative. Oh, my lordy Lou. Uh, I think that's a take on... Turbo's um, sparing mag uh, narrative. He says, if you love spearfishing and let's face it, who doesn't, then you can't go past this show. The wealth of knowledge that Shrek and Turbo and the guests bring just can't be beat. Also, as somebody married to a Kiwi, I can certainly appreciate the banter between Shrek and Turbo. Keep up the good job, fellas. That was a cool review. Um, so much stoke. Coolo Asic says, from the US, Hey, a new Spiro Mermaid here, just three episodes in from discovering your podcast and having a real blast. So much gold advice and great stories. Now I have four years of episodes to catch up on. Good on you for keeping it up, and thanks for adding so much to the spearfishing community and having, and having, and I don't know, got the rest of the review got cut off, but thank you for that. Um, great, five star. This is from Adam Fiala Design. He says, just out here with my pole spear and speedo, spent $50 max. Lol. Um, <laughs> love that. That's excellent. Uh, UK and Almond says, yeah, Shrek and Turbo keeping the stoke alive while whiling away many hours behind the wheel and inspiring many hours behind the gun. Thanks for the wonderful podcast. A lot of people love to listen to the show while they're driving. So awesome to have you with us. That was from Almond in the UK. Um, top therapy and great info by Sail Cruiser from Singapore, says, I've listened to Shrek and Turbo so many times over that, when I finally got into the water hunting on my own for the first time, it felt like I was already a salty Sparrow. The wealth of information balanced with banter makes for a great listening experience. There is a community growing with this podcast, which is a wonderful source of support. Recently suffered from partial hearing loss from a reverse block whilst freediving. The podcast has kept my spirits up while I was coming to terms with it. That was awesome, man. I hope it gets better for you, Sail Cruiser. So uh, thanks for the review. If you do want to join the New Spirit community, get a little bit more involved. There's two ways I'd encourage you to do it. If you do love the show, you're an avid fan, I'd encourage you to become a patron on patreon.com forward slash New Spirit. You can support the show three levels, 
Uh, just go and check that out, patreon.com forward slash Noob Sparrow. The other thing, as usual, for free with the Noob Sparrow is jump on the Noob Sparrow community group on Facebook. Uh, we've got, a, I think there's about 1,600 people on there now, and uh, it's just a really great group uh, for avoiding dickheads, asking those embarrassing questions, um, sharing the stoke, your stories, your victories, your wins, but also the issues and obstacles you're having because, let's face it, spearfishing has got a hell of a steep learning curve, and uh, it's awesome that the podcast has been able to serve some people over the years doing that and uh, it's no stopping anytime soon we've got a fantastic bag of interviews lined up for 2020 and um, this one is I'm stoked let's get into it Adam Stern here we go Way back in 2001, Adreno, or as it was then known, Adrenaline, was a tiny shop on the back streets of Woolloongabba. And at the time, it was nearly impossible to find decent spearfishing equipment, especially at an affordable rate. Since then, hundreds, thousands of people have discovered the joys of spearfishing through Adreno's store. They've gone on and built four stores all across Australia. We've got Melbourne, Sydney, Brisbane, and Perth. And their online shop at spearfishing.com offers a completely different experience than what we're used to finding online in the spearfishing world. If you want free information, you can check out their blog at spearfishing.com or their YouTube channel, shop at spearfishing.com.au. Use the code NoobSpearer, you can save $20 on every purchase over 200 And I know lots of noobers have made use of this code over the years. A big thanks to today's sponsor, Adreno. Welcome to the show, Adam Stern. Noob Spiro community has lusciously been awaiting this this chat. You are spoiled. You're guest number 116, I believe. Welcome to the show. Oh, mate, I always wanted to be 116th at something. Hey, number 116 is a good number. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think I'm like, um, I'm at least 116th on the Australian freediving rankings, which is a little bit different from you. <laughs> yeah, we're, I, I think I'm a little... A lot of new divers coming out. Yeah, yeah. I could. I'll probably get bumped down though, rather than up. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's true. That's. But but at least I could claim like there was you know like a higher number of them. Um, last night I went to the Brisbane Bull Sharks and um, did some did some pool training. Had it hadn't um, been in the water for three weeks. I was pitiful. Um, is is that something you get with long spells out of the water, or is that sort of cleared now that you're you've reached the the heights of you know, um, eight times Australian record setting and so on. I would love to tell you that, um, uh, that, yeah, every time I go back to the pool after a long break, I'm still busting my guts. But it's not, it doesn't, that, I just don't quite get it anymore. Like, I, I don't know when it started to actually happen. Um, it might have been about maybe three or four years into, like, full-time training. But mind you, like, you know, I was training a lot. Um, and then I just have, like, I could have, like, six months off. And, and mate, I did. I recently, you know, I just had a baby. I had six months where I didn't hold my breath at all. Got straight yeah. back into the pool and felt amazing and started smashing out like uh, PB uh, times for some of my uh, my exercises that I do. Holy moly! Yeah, so I, you know, like I don't know, like uh, I think you get you get to a you get to a like, you get to a time when your body just sort of remembers and like you know muscle memory kicks in and you just just breath holding again. But I do remember many years of having breaks, coming back and just feeling like death in the water for for mm. at least a. <laughs> Or two, and then you start to get the flow again. 
Yeah, well, I'm, I've got a big trip prepared next month, so that was partly why I asked the question because, like, it seems like I, I used to be able to show back up and then I'd be, I wouldn't be great, but I'd be still be half decent. But I went last night and I was pitiful. And um, there were there were guys that, you know, had been listening to the podcast for years and they went to the Bull Sharks because of my recommendation. They get there and, and here's the slug that they've been listening to for all these years with a pitiful breath hold. But, um, no, nah, it's all good. I'm sure after a few weeks I'll be back. And so I think a lot of it's in the, in the a mental game, isn't it, freediving? T- totally, totally. Um, but, you know, I mean, it's, it's like I think, I think that freediving is as much a mental sport as most other sports. You know, like, like I think that, for example, I think that playing tennis is more mental than freediving. Like playing okay. tennis is intense. I think, I think that fighting, I think that like any fighting sport, is probably more mental than freediving. Uh, I know that freediving gets thrown around as this real mental sport, but I think it was, it was, it, it all came from the age of the yogi freediver. You know, oh. there was time in freediving development when everybody had to do yoga, and it was all about spirituality and meditation, and that's yeah. just gone now. Um, and so is that mentality. <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> awesome. I'm glad for it too. Um, <laughs> Um, Simon Tripp uh, asked me to ask you what the kind of he said you had a great, great explanation for explaining what the difference is between freediving and spearfishing I'd love it if maybe before we get into a little bit of your background and I pump you full of questions from the community I wonder if you could give us what your definition of the difference is between freediving and spearfishing well, I, I mean, like they're both just holding your breath and going underwater, right? Um, yep. With different targets in mind. So the thing is, when when you're free diving, everything tends to be controlled, right? So you go underwater, especially if you're diving on a line, right? Like I just, I, I literally, I go out in the ocean, I swim up and down a rope. Wait, I swim down then up a rope, um, <laughs> and yeah. uh, everything is controlled, everything is mapped out, everything is planned, and it's the same for even when you're fun diving, you know, like. You go down, you swim around, you come back up. Your buddy's there watching your back. Everything is everything is controlled. When you sp- and, and you you more or less know what to expect on the dive, whereas when you're spearfishing, there's a lot less control, and you don't know what to expect on the dive. You don't know what species you're going to encounter down there. You don't know what annoyances or like random yeah. wobby wobbygongs, uh, other things you're going to encounter <laughs> down there. Like, um, it's it's totally unplanned and uncontrolled. You don't know when you shoot a fish. You don't know if that fish is going to go reef itself, how deep it's going to be. Like there, there's everything. Everything is um is very much out of your well. So I keep saying you know, don't know. Everything is out of your control. Everything is unplanned, and so you need to. That's why when when we're talking about uh, you know free diving for spearfishing, this is why uh, it's it's always best to like not be ever diving anywhere near your limit when spearfishing yeah. because you can go down and, and everything can go sideways very easily and then you're up shit creek. So can we yeah. do we swear on the podcast or? Oh, 100%. This is a swear. This is an open swearing zone, the No Swear podcast. It's, uh, it's marked explicit and banned in several countries. So, yeah, you're welcome to swear. Um, I try to do it as you know appropriately and not just do it all the time because i find i fall myself falling into the habit of just dropping bombs everywhere um but no if if you need to swear by all means because being australian it's very hard to know where the appropriate line is swearing 100 percent. and i'm only from across that little ditch and and we have the same (laughs) the same ideas um look what um let's get into some of your background i mean did you fall in love with like the ocean or was it freediving? What happened first? Where, where did you get involved in this whole business? How did it all start? 
So uh, I think that, like, the truth is that I don't really have a very romantic story. Um, so what what was going on was, okay, so I'd, I'd finished uni and I when I was at uni, I studied theatre. Now, I, I finished uni basically not wanting anything to do with the world of theatre. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Great three years of my life. And I was like, you yeah. know what? Go on backpacking. So I just like, you know, shot off to Southeast Asia and I just ran amok for a few years. Do you know what I mean? Like, you know, just standard Southeast Asian backpacker. And then I was, uh, I was in Thailand and I was cruising around in Koh Tao um, and I was like, oh, you know, getting ready to shoot on over to the full moon party and all that kind of jazz. And then I just <laughs> found this little, yeah, you know, standard, standard 21-year-old, 22-year-old backpacker, like absolute yeah. idiot. Ben Tang, t- sing, a singlet. Oh, mate, you <laughs> Yeah. That's all I had in my backpack. Yeah, yeah, just a couple of them. No, just, just one. Let's be honest. You just had one in there and one on. That was your entire wardrobe. <laughs> <laughs> I've still got it, you know? <laughs> yeah, of course, you know, you, you, you can't let it go. Like, they rot off you, those things. Uh, so you're, at, you're in Thailand, Koh Tao? Yep. Um, I, and I just, um, I, I was doing a scuba diving course at the time. Uh, and I thought I, I'd, I'd scuba dive like uh, for a few years already. I was doing like my advanced course, you know what I mean? Um, oh, yeah. And I was just kind of a bit bored with it. I was like, oh, this is not very exciting. Uh, mm. And I was I kept walking past this freediving shop every day, and I was like, that looks really cool. And I just I literally just signed up for a course. There was a yogi in the window. There, no, there was a hot uh, hot chick in the window. Ah, uh, yeah. <laughs> you know how you sell a freediving course? You take yeah. a photo of a, of a girl in a bikini yeah. and you put it online and then you say, free diving course this weekend. And everyone's like, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and little, little, little do they know, it's just a, a guy with a ponytail and, and from behind. But, um... <laughs> you know what's really funny is that uh, on some of my YouTube videos, I've got like, like, uh, to, like some tutorial topics, like how to breathe for free diving, you yeah. know, things like that. And I've got like a like a hot chick in a bikini as the thumbnail, and I cannot tell you how many comments on those videos are just like, "This video is a rot. I came here for the chick," or you know, like this, <laughs> this is just. Yeah, the the young blood style thumbnail. They, it works good. They're masters of it, aren't they? Oh, hundred <laughs> percent. But it does sell, doesn't it? And um, there's definitely an element of that. So you. you you got roped into this the shop with the hot chick. Did you sign up for a stage one or something? What was the? Basically, yeah, just signed up for the first level course, uh, and then I did it, and I was like, oh, this is really cool. Uh, I, you know, I, I liked it. Uh, to be honest, a lot of it scared the shit out of me. Um, like I remember, I remember coming up from my first dive to twenty meters, and uh, in this course, it was like you know, it was a bit more in the glory days. So they were kind of just like. Mate, you put your fins on, you swim down, you go. And I was like, all right. <laughs> Rugged. Yeah, 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 yeah. And uh, I remember turning around. Now, at, at the time, I didn't know what, like, I didn't know what carbon dioxide was. I didn't know what a contraction or, like, an urge to breathe was. I didn't know, like, why they happened in the body. So I remember yeah. swimming up from this 20-meter dive and just feeling, like, feeling the standard urge to breathe. But, you know, not knowing what that was and just thinking, like, oh, my God, like, I am going to die. Like, this yep. is it. And just like, like just fanging it with my little fins, just trying to get back to the surface. <laughs> but yeah. But even though it was a, I had a few kind of shitty experiences in the beginning, like I still, I still really liked it. I thought it was a really cool thing. Yeah. Um, 
and the other thing was is that I was doing nothing in my life. Like, uh, like when, when you go like just like aimlessly traveling for a few years, I think you, uh, at least all I did, I started to crave some kind of structure in my life or some kind of thing to attach myself to. Yeah. Um, and then I was like, oh, well, you know, freediving. <laughs> it's really mm-hmm. easy measure out your progress you know you count the meters you go a little bit deeper you go a little bit deeper and then as, oh, as time went on, like i just like really like i just fell in love with it and i i suppose like then i then i uh through it's funny so through freediving i developed an affinity and a love for the ocean rather than having it already and thinking oh how do i deepen this ah okay so it was kind of like us about like you know like in terms of a lot different from a lot of other people which is why you said it wasn't a romantic story so i kind of get that out yeah cool man um and and so this incremental improvement and the the getting the numbers that was kind of addictive and then you started having some more transformative experiences in the water very much very much and the transformative experiences they they happen fairly early on like you know in the second and the third and the fourth week of training the beginning like there wasn't a particular reason that i did it and there was it wasn't like the ocean was calling me you know, I, I grew up near the beach. And I, I grew up uh, spearing just with like a pole spear and, and surfing. But like I didn't, I didn't feel like, uh, I didn't feel like, I didn't grow up with a very strong affinity to the ocean or at least nothing like what I have now. Or cause I don't know, I, I just get a lot of people coming to me saying like, oh, you know, I've always loved the ocean or I've always wanted to explore it. And I was like, oh, I didn't, I was, I didn't want to look at <laughs> <laughs> you know, when you go up surfing, you don't want to look at what's underneath because that's terrifying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a bit of that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay. Um, when I started researching you, um, like thorough Noobspero style research, which I really do for, for every guest, I, I pumped into Google Adam Stern and it auto-completed some of the search queries for me. And one of the search, one of the search queries was um, Adam Stern freediver age. And then there was no Wikipedia page for you, and I couldn't find out how old you were. So I assume you're about 45, just based on how much shit you've done over the years. Oh, 100%, bro. That's yeah. nuts that people are looking that up. I never yeah, it's they're looking that up, man. I'm telling you, it's one of the Google search queries. So fill, fill me in, and, and maybe Google will come to Noob Spiro then to find the answer. I'm 31. Okay, 31. So when, when did this first freediving course happen? When? I was, I would have been, I would have been in, I would have been just turning 22, just before I turned 22, yeah. Wow, so you've been, you've been freediving nine years, it seems like you've been around forever, man, like I've been, I've been watching your videos forever and so have my, most of my community, I've got a ton of questions here for you from them, but I wanted to get in, and like, um, I wanted to get into some of the obstacles, so like, like I can definitely relate to you, like you're, you're down at 20 metres, you get that urge to breathe, you're looking at the surface, it seems like it's a mile away. Um, that's kind of an obstacle in overcoming that sort of the fear. What are some of the other ones you had? Um, so actually, to be honest with you, my, my biggest obstacle in my diving career was that uh, I've always been too gung-ho with my training. I've always pushed myself too much. I've always... Uh, done dives that I wasn't necessarily ready to do just because I was like ready to grit my teeth and get it done. And, and you know, you start to leave like a lot of psychological scars <laughs> and, yeah. uh, uh, <laughs> and you also, you, um, you, you don't enjoy it. You know, uh, you, you take the love uh, away. <laughs> thing. There's only so many times you can beat yourself to hell and, and want to keep going back. So that, that was, that was for me, 
the the biggest challenge and that's that's just i suppose like that's just my personality i'm very um like i wouldn't say i'm actually competitive in general but i get competitive with some things and i really i really try to like extract the absolute most out of myself like i'm i, I can be fairly brutal with myself in terms of yeah. what what i demand out of myself um so it's actually been a very long-term process to to get rid of that style. Um, mm. And to be honest, I see it all the time. I see it, especially in the spearfishing community, I see so many so many young Spearos just going hard, um, mm-hmm. not knowing that, especially in the beginning, the harder you push, the further you're going to end up knocking yourself back. Yeah. I, while you talk about that, like I read the news, Northern Beaches this morning, a spearfisherman was pulled out of the water today, 26 years old. I, I don't know what happened. I don't know the story. I don't even like to cover the stories on the podcast, but the fact of the matter is he was he was spearfishing and he's died in the Northern Beaches area, which is not too far from you on the Central Coast. Yeah, no. And, um, yeah, I mean, that, that is a big part of it, isn't it? So, I mean, how do you overcome that? that? How did you overcome, you know, just that urge to be really hard on yourself and sort of, you know, always striving to sort of one-up yourself? Do you know what? I don't know if I have completely because it still rears its ugly head every now and again. The, the, the thing is, is that I got, I got to the stage where I could barely dive. Like I got to this point where um, I would put my fin on and I'd start swimming down and I would get every, every time I'd get down to 50 meters. And, you know, this is at a time when doing a hundred odd meter dive is like, you know, reasonably easy. I get to 50 meters and something would go haywire in my brain and I'd just turn around. And this is that scar tissue you were talking about. You you sort of had started to have an association with pain with freediving, whereas it, before it was something enjoyable. 100%. And 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 the thing is like yeah, I just learned over the over the over the years that like you, you that you can't sacrifice the joy like at any point in time because mm. you know the urge to breathe or your body's like mechanisms to breathe uh, these are really deep parts of the brain you know what i mean um yeah. uh, this is down in the lizard brain <laughs> you yeah, know yeah. I mean? um and so like if you start uh having experiencing trauma with mm. that feeling with that part of your brain uh, you, you won't be able to override that. Like it, it's it's uh, it's stronger than your will to keep going. Yeah, righto. So 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 what do you do? Like, um, what, what's your what are you doing at the moment to kind of overcome that? Well, I, okay. So what I did, uh, I, I basically um, I went I went back to to sort of training in the pool, uh, and I, I started to do a lot of uh, breath breath holding exercises that were really gentle. That were like hold your breath until the urge to breathe begins and then come up. And okay. uh, what I would do is I, my, the focus for those exercises was to see how deeply I could relax and then how much that relaxation would prolong the period of time before I get the urge to breathe. Okay. So that was one. So like, you know, I'm obviously, obviously, uh, building a, a new association, right, with breath holding. Um, and then the other thing was I had to uh, sort of – uh, this is actually a bit of a crack up. So I, I sat down with a, a, a neural scientist and he, he explained to me how neural pathways work and how you can unpick neural pathways. So like the connections between your neurons and your brain and yep. then create new ones. So this is what he had me doing. So to unpick a neural pathway, what you do 
is you basically you uh, they use what's called exposure therapy. So I would uh, you, you when you do this, you always have to to speak the words out loud and tell it to another person. It's not really good just imagining it or repeating it to yourself. So I, every day I'd sit down with my wife and I would describe exactly what it felt like on all of my worst dives, and I'd go through it in huge detail. And you do it for months. And in the beginning, I would be describing these scenarios and I'd feel like this like anxiety in my chest. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And then after months, I would be able to talk about it and it wouldn't have any effect on me at all. So that was ah. the unpicking of the neural pathway. And then you got to remake a good neural pathway in place of the old one because uh, the brain has the habit to just reassert itself. Like, you know, your, bo- your body will always um, reestablish normality. So if you don't uh, recreate the neural pathway, the old one will tend to just, uh, it will re- revert. Yeah, yeah. And yep. so then what, what, what he had me doing was he had me having really good experiences while wearing my fins. So ah. like, you know, you put the fins on and eat your favorite food, put the fins on and listen to good music, put the fins on, watch TV, put the fins on, have sex, you know, like. <laughs> I was going to say it. I was going to say it. Right, but he legit, he legit prescribed it. Like, yeah, Adam, nice. You put your fins on and you, you get to work. And that's how my daughter. <laughs> oh, wow. She's going to be a mermaid in every sense of the word. Wow. <laughs> um <laughs> But, but so I, I, I did that and then um, I went and I changed a lot of my technique. So my mm. technique needed improving anyway, but I, uh, I went and I basically altered my diving style so that on my descents, um, I wouldn't be, I wouldn't, like I would have used different movements in my body and different techniques to get down. And so I wouldn't be yeah. feeling the same things on the way down. Okay, cool. This is really hard um, work you've done because like, I think when you're in that fresh learner sort of take on a on a sport or an activity, you've got that state of neuroplasticity. But when that when your when your brain's sort of hardened and all those pathways have been forged, trying to undo all that, deal with trauma, and then reform those things that's that's a deep work, man. That's that's pretty cool and and pretty um, interesting to hear about. That sounds like really intensive. How long did this process sort of take? Uh, about eighteen months. I started doing it about yeah, a year and a half. Uh, yeah, it's been about, I suppose now it's been about two years since I like began that journey, but I, I stopped doing it actively about six months ago uh, mm. because I kind of felt like I had, I had, you know, gotten over it all. One thing that comes through in your videos and all your diving, man, is you've, you've got a real sense of joy about you. And I know that's not all just theatrical training. It just, it comes from your personality. So did this, has this brought the, you know, a lot of joy back into diving again for you? Are you, are you having fun? So, so much. Like, I'm really enjoying myself. And the other thing is, is that, like, uh, you know, I think I've also gotten into a stage just with myself that I'm happy with what I've achieved. And so I'm just having a good time. Like, I still train hard. In fact, I, I train harder now than I did before. But I have a great time doing it. I'm not sweating all the little stuff. I'm not getting caught up in, in bullshit. Um, and I... I, I'm also just trying to like live a life where I, I do the things I want to do uh, mm. and <laughs> try to offload or get rid of all the other things I don't want to do. And, you know, you, you'll be, you'll probably be more successful if you do all the things you don't want to do, but you have a better time. Nah. <laughs> I don't know, man. I don't know if I agree with it because like a lot of stuff sucks and um, it doesn't matter how hard you try it. You just, you never get any good at it. So you're almost better off just sticking to your, your, your strengths and doing what you enjoy and trying to get other, 
other people or things around you to do those things that they're good at and hopefully it's some of the stuff that you're not good at and it works together. I guess that's the beauty of being in a team. It's 2020 and it's time for a brand new sponsor, Killshot Spear Guns. Timber guns made in the USA. Simple, effective, dependable, made in the Florida Keys by Ed Martin. These spear guns are an absolute work of art. Check them out at killshotspearguns.com. And, hey, I've got a special for you. 30 bucks off user code NOOB. That's just NOOB. N-O-O-B. For a limited time only, save $30 on any spear gun at Killshot Spear Guns. Save 30 bucks on any spear gun. Check it out. Just for you guys today, the legendary Noobers, aka the passionate listeners of the Noob Sphere podcast, Audible has a free audiobook download with a 30-day trial to give you an opportunity to check out their service. Now, I use Audible myself, so I've definitely got a couple of recommendations for you to check out today. Can't Hurt Me in 2019 made a huge impact on me. It's by David Goggins. He's a crazy unit. Um, It's probably the favorite book I read last year. I guess his story is all about going from wimp to warrior, and most of the lessons in the book are about resilience and just getting back up. But it's one of those books that that made the hairs on my neck stand up. I couldn't get enough of that book, and I, I think that's something that I'll listen to periodically over and over again another book on my reading list coming up is the rise of superman by stephen kotler uh, in the bio it says drawing on over a decade of research and first-hand reporting with dozens of top action and adventure sport athletes like big wave legend laird hamilton big mountain snowboarder jeremy jones and skateboarding pioneer danny way Kotler explores the frontier science of flow an optimal state of consciousness in which we perform and feel our best. And, you know, if you are checking out the, the Audible trial, the free trial, you get one of these books for free. So check it out at noobspero.com forward slash audible. That's A-U-D-I-B-L-E. And uh, you could even get 99 tips to get better. Especially, I'll tell you what, you can't go wrong with that book. That is quality. Um... I wanted to get technical with you for a little while and hook into some um, community questions because I got hammered. Um, I've got a, I've got at least a dozen here. Um, so for veterans, Vault, I wanted to focus on um, equalising and and like it's just such a bugbear for a lot of divers. But before we get there, I just had some sort of some general questions. So do you mind if we kick into them? Yeah, let's do it. All right, cool. Kurt Kurt says. Um, can you give me a quick rundown on what to expect during the different levels of freediving courses? You know, for example, beginners, advanced, etc. And I know that every freediving organisation does this slightly different. Tell us about yours and and how how the courses work in truck and trailer and so on. Well, I'll, look, I'll, I'll, I think a lot of people are going to hate me for this, but I think most of the uh, the courses are the same. If that makes sense, like um, uh, like like. Uh, there's not there's there's not like a whole bunch of stuff that you can just invent and pull out of your ass for the high level courses. So mo- most of the agencies are teaching the same thing. I think what what distinguishes the agencies is all the things behind the scenes, like you know who are the instructors and how they get made instructors and what kind of jazz. Okay. Um, but but like I so you, you, your standard level one course, right? Mm-hmm. Your level one course is the basics of freediving. It's the basics of breath-holding physiology. It's the basics, like the basic uh, skills in, in freediving in terms of like how to duck dive, how to be streamlined in the water, how to fin properly, how to move efficiently in the water so that you're making as much propulsion as you can uh, without creating drag in the water. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yep. Um, 
so effectively all the skills, all the basic skills that you need to get down to 20 odd meters and back. Um, uh, and the goal at the end of the level one course is that the diver leaves the course feeling competent to go and dive like with a buddy. But in okay. saying that, when, when I get Spiros coming to courses, we, we just take it a little another step further. Uh, now, often Spiros um, uh, <laughs> have <laughs> undeniable <Bad> traits. <laughs> <laughs> Ring off a list of them, buddy. Sounds like you've got a laundry list. No, 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 Spiros are great. You know, when you no, get no, no. a course, it's an easy course. That you know, that's, that's the reality. Um, okay, so so then um, you know, the second the second level course is uh, like a lot of it is actually about training. So so when when it comes to like the diving side of things, you know, you're, you're teaching people the skills to go deeper. Uh, you're teaching people how to be safe in the water while they're getting down towards thirty odd meters, and mostly dealing with what goes on in the lungs at that depth. And then we're starting to learn, like more advanced diving techniques. Like you start to learn how to how to use your buoyancy to your advantage. You start to learn how to free fall. You start to learn how to use your buoyancy for your ascent. Um, and, and then besides that, you, we're really focused on uh, I, I suppose like some advanced equalization techniques, more advanced than level one in the beginning. In the level one, I, you know, most instructors they just want your ears to go pop pop, and that's it. That's all they care about. Mm. Um, and but you focus on training in the level two course. Uh, because you you want those the diver to leave that course and feel like confident to go and, and train in the pool or train like to train them themselves to be better at diving, you know yeah. like I, like after the level two course like you know you'd hope your divers can go and join a free diving club and train competently with the with the club knowing what they're doing, and then the level three course, uh, it's really about um. Uh, maximum performances, so how to get the absolute most out of your body. You go into more detail about training. Uh, you go into a lot more detail about physiology. and then, So we have to cover the adv more advanced physiology because you have to know how to extract every last drop out of yourself. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I'm just thinking like <clears throat> it's really good hearing this sort of laid out um, in a very logical format. I'm just wondering at, at, at times what, what is relevant for, for a, for a spear, spearfisher? Um, obviously, like huge parts of this are relevant, but then it sounds like the, the you know the level three or the advanced. It sounds like it's very geared towards big one-off swims rather than sustained um, dives to say 20 meters, like a lot of um, experienced spiros do. Um, well, I'd love to hear your take on it, though. No, look, look, the the level three course is not something that that uh, someone who only wants to spearfish should be interested in. Okay. If, if you're if you're just if you just want to just want to spare, then you're not you you look you'll get some stuff out of it. And I mean, if you've got the money to spend, you'll you'll spend it. Like it's what yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but it's not like the level one course. I I genuinely believe is essential for every spiro, every breath hold diver. Mm. The level two course is essential for every spiro who wants to have the knowledge and the ability to improve themselves to be an amazing Spiro. Yeah. And the level three course is for every Spiro who also likes freediving and wants to take their freediving further. Yeah, nice, nice. And what about a proviso or sort of um, some ideas about choosing a freediving instructor when you're a, a, like more of just a spearfisher 
with a, with a, with a, you know, possibly a, a distant interest of doing some competitive free diving in the future, but more focused on spearfishing. How should they look at choosing a, a, a free diving instructor? Because obviously a lot of the instructors have passed these stringent tests. I mean, depending on which body they're with and all the rest of it. But how do they know that that person's going to be able to deliver for them and what they want for the, in terms of outcomes and safety for spearfishing and stuff like that? Do you, do you know what I reckon? That the best thing to do is just to have a chat because, mm. like, you can, you can go and look at someone's bio. You know, you can go and you can go Google people and check out their school and, like, kind of jazz or their, their facilities and that kind of thing. But uh, I, I genuinely think the best thing to do is just to have a, have a chat to the instructor. Like, send them an email, give them a call, and if they resonate with you, then yeah. you're going to be the person for you. And if, if, you, if you're on the phone to them and you don't feel like they get where you're coming from or they're like uh, serving up what you want to be having, then mm. they're not the one for you. Because the, the thing is, is that, uh, you know, you, you can go and find the most in, experienced instructor. That's cool. And that's what a lot of people do. And that's great. That actually, you know, for the, like you'll be, there'll be more hit than miss in that scenario. But like I know a lot of brand new instructors who are just amazing and there are certain people who come and seek me out for a course and mm. they would have been much better suited going and finding someone else. I mean like I think like looking for an instructor is is like uh, one of these things that there's no perfect – there is not a perfect formula for it. Mm. You're going to get good and some bad with everyone and you should just have a crack. I want a hot, a hot woman, like late 20s, that's going to teach me um, pranayama breathing from downward dog. Like preferably, yeah, preferably like less clothing the better. Yeah, man, I'll, I'll send you a few emails. I'll flick you a few Instagram profiles. Sick. And get you on. Oh, sick. I'll be, I'll be level three in no time. <laughs> um Hey, just while you were talking about the advance, to reminded me a question from Sven, who he's recently done a whole lot of courses. I can't remember. I think it's I can't remember what school he's going through. But anyway, um, he's recently touched down at forty meters. His spearfishing starting to get um, really deep, but his freediving he managed to touch down at forty meters. He's 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 get, he's going really well. But he said to me, um, "How do you level out properly when at depth?" without causing the issues of lung squeeze, et cetera, because some of these guys that do these courses, they find that, oh, all of a sudden I can spearfish at 30 metres. But in terms of, you know, that's obviously a real risk zone for, for getting squeezed and stuff, track air squeeze as well. So it's a good question. So what, what happens is when you, you get these spears that go away and they, they do a freediving course, level two or the level three, and like, oh, man, I just hit 30 metres. I, I just hit 40 metres. And they think to themselves, well, you know, I, 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 can, I can go and spear it now. Or they do go and start spearing deeper. Mm. The truth is that that hitting those depths once or twice or, or, or three times or 10 times or 20 times is it's usually not enough to have uh, – they, they're usually not fully adapted to those depths and they usually don't have the flexibility to be moving around uh, like, like in an open way. Uh, yeah. So for the most part, usually the spearing to those depths is rushed. But yeah. um, when you are spearing at those depths, what you actually do – is you uh, if you you imagine that basically your your uh, your head position stay at all times stays uh, like you know neutral yeah <laughs> <laughs> your head stays neutral to your body <laughs> yeah yeah instead of twisting your head around or twisting the body around to look you're always moving from the hips so you, ah. you the torso around and you keep the head neutral 
and then you're moving the head around and then you're not placing pressure on the lungs and you're not stretching out the uh the neck so you're not going to squeeze the trachea sick that's an awesome explanation okay cool well um, i'm not doing that myself so it's probably it's probably a question for about five percent of um, our listeners but there are these free uh free diver spearfishermen that are are doing it at depth and and it can be done and there are this school of people that are doing it so it is an interesting question that he posed. Um, Jason Harris says, um, fantastic. I love Adam's positivity and mindset. Um, he says, maybe any questions regarding tips on how he enters a state of calmness during a dive to increase bottom time? He says, I feel like I get caught up in the moment sometimes and get too erratic. Oh, no, I know. I mean, I know exactly what he means. Uh, uh, and I think what, what I suppose that the... the the mental technique that I'm going to describe is something that just gets stronger the more you do it. So you you start it now, and um, and as the years go on, <laughs> I always hate giving out advice and, and framing it in years. Yeah, you know I mean, I'd love to just be like, oh, you know, by next week you'll be a beast. Yeah, <laughs> it's not the truth though, is it? It's, it's... no. Yeah. So um, what what you do is uh, you have a few things in your in your memory bank that bring you like a lot of happiness and calm. Um, and, and this is actually, if you, if you look at the sports psychology books, this will be referred to as running a mental program. So what you do is you, you think about the same thing in the same way before every big performance or before every big dive or whatever, you know what I mean? Because obviously I'm assuming it's a big dive for mm. this diver if it's making him nervous or if he's looking for a way to calm his mind. Mm. Um, you think about the same thing the same way. And uh, the more you do this before each dive, the stronger that neural pathway gets of, uh, of like of the stronger the correlation between that happy thing creating calm and a big dive become. And mm. so as the years go on, you find that you're able to just enter easily this state of calm before a big dive. But the, the road to get there was creating the calm with the positive thought and then doing the big dive. Does that make sense? And then eventually you don't even need the positive thought your body knows, oh, I'm getting ready for a big dive, I feel calm. There's a, there's a technique in um, neuro-linguistic programming called anchoring where you, where you do it with, like a, with a physical gesture. And, I, I'm wonder, and you can sort of anchor this, these, these positive calming moments to a, like maybe it's clenching your fist or it, it can be anything. It can be any kind of thing. But the, the point is, is that you, you do the physical motion while you think the thought and feel the feelings and then you can just do the motion and you get the feelings without actually having to entertain the thoughts too much. Is that kind of another sort of version of what you're talking about? That, that is exactly the same thing, except uh, you, you know, you've created a, a physical anchor rather than just a, a mental one, I suppose. Yeah. Cool, cool. And then after time, like instead of having these these shit memories where you try to push yourself too far or whatever, you, you've actually forged some like really positive um, moments around some of the more challenging dives that you're doing. Is that is that where we're going with this? Because you've got to keep in mind that you're always going to be like we're talking about all the here's a technique to, to enforce some calm onto you before a big dive. But if mm -hmm. you're going and having shitty experiences, you're you're battling against yourself, you know, like this is going to be an uphill battle um, mm. because then you're fighting against the scenario by which I yeah. mean the dive that is making you maybe a bit nervous and the memories of other shitty dives that make you not oh. look forward to the dive you're about to jump into. I feel like um, it's a little off topic, but I feel like the deep week thing that you've created um, would be a really good place to sort of work on 
things like this in a really sort of dedicated environment? Is this kind of some of the work you do in these things? Very much. I mean, the, the cool thing about Deep Week is that, um, I mean, like it's turned into a huge festival, right? So it's a, mm. it's a good, it's just a good time. But also mm. because we have a lot of people, we can, we can basically bring over anyone. So we bring mm. over like, like a, a veritable fuck ton of experts. <laughs> um, that's the metric. That's the measurement. Yeah. But, you know, yeah. we have experts on just about everything and we have six different workshops on different topics every day and you just go to whichever ones interest you. Um, but also, like, the other reason why I started doing Deep Week as opposed to teaching, like, you know, your standard weekend courses in Australia is that for most, for most uh, types of development or progression in freediving, you need more than a weekend. You need, like, yeah. at least a week. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's kind of minimum, isn't it? Like you see it with training camps for lots of sports, you know, fighting is another one, big one in Southeast Asia. Um, but I like the the deep week. It just seems really cool and fun. I remember the first time I looked at it, I'll be real honest with you. Um, I, I, the first time I ever went to a freediving training group, three of the people there were accountants. One guy was a, a, proc, a proctologist. Two of them were uni lecturers, and there were like three or four students. And it's only a small crowd, but they were very eccentric and kind of geeky. And I didn't really – they weren't they weren't meshing with me on a because they were just like, oh, no, he's a Spiro guy. He just hunts and likes to kill shit and bash it with his gun <laughs> after. And there was this kind of this awkward cultural battle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, like, I stuck with it. I stuck with it. And then, so when I first saw Deep Week, I was looking at it going, oh, no, it's just like a 100 of those type of people. <laughs> but, uh, but then I sort of, like, the idea grew on me and I looked at it and I was like, oh, no, that'd be, it'll be just friggin' rad, man. Like, I'm um, surrounded by people who like to hold their breath for long amounts of time and yeah. just get just get crazy. I think it's a real cool concept, so well done on it. Oh, thanks, bro. We, look, I tell you, we, we don't get many uh, people that you're describing. I think most of the people <laughs> that come to Deep Week are, are kind of like out for a good time and to improve their freediving while they're having that good time. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, obviously people who want to like really dedicate do and there's the, the ability for them to do that there, but... Mm. Um, yeah, there's a, there's a lot of bintang going on. <laughs> it sounds good. I'm going to come along to him. Hey, um, Todd Sims, he's, he's another guy in the community. He says, Adam Stern was and still is a huge inspiration for not just for myself but for everyone in our group, Syncface. These guys are uh, – I'll remember where they're based in a minute. But he says, we all started out watching his YouTube videos and that's how I learned to frenzel. Some of us are part of his – some of us are part of his Patreon. Please thank him on our behalf for us. He says the dive group was talking about breathe-ups and we learned while getting certified. He said we all had a slightly different breathe-up. I started with a 4 by one by 8 by one but went to a 3 by one by 10 by one after my course. He says, what breathe-up do you personally use? And um, he says, do, do you recommend anything different for sparing? Can you just explain what he's talking about with this, with this thing as well? Because I think a lot of listeners might... Uh, be a, a little bit confused by this idea of this um, this sort of tempo breathing. Totally. So, all right. Um, uh, so, uh, okay. You, you, you never you never want to present information that might conflict with other other instructors, right? Because as yeah. a freediving instructor, you need to respect everyone's information, and you also got to sort of like understand that de devaluing the information for, for one instructor doesn't make you look like a hero. It makes all <laughs> instructors look like dickheads. Yeah. So, 
but the, the way that most um most like i suppose uh like actually okay the, the most modern and up-to-date concept for breathing before a dive is to just tidal breathe so when I say tidal breathing, I mean like your your body's uh, at rest breathing. So just to, to to sit there or lay there or float there and just breathe normally. So the best way I think to think of it is to breathe as if you were trying to go to sleep. Uh, and when, when when we're sort of like, you know, falling asleep or like, you know, if you're sitting there on the couch watching TV, you breathe so shallow and so slow. Best to try to mimic that because, um, uh, okay, so he, he's a really – basic way to to explain this so w when we're referring to like like the tempo breathing and things like that where we're talking about like um inhaling for a period of time and exhaling for a period of time and yeah. that used to be like standard method of of of, uh, of like the breathe up that you teach for freediving and and uh, most people have moved away from that now um okay. the, the standard one was like you know you, you'd inhale for five seconds you'd exhale for 10 seconds right mm. so it's like a slow controlled exhale um now, so basically, um, the, the absolute best performance that a human can get for their freediving, for their mm. breath hold, is to do tidal breathing before they dive. So you do tidal breathing before you dive, you'll get the most out of your body. Um, anything more than tidal breathing, so if you breathe more than tidal breathing, then that's hyperventilating and you actually yes. reduce your body's maximum breath hold time. So you black out earlier. So, so a form like any of these forms of tempo diving are at least a mild form of hyperventilation, which flushes carbon dioxide from our system and removes that that messaging system that our body has to give us the urge to breathe. Is is, is that kind of bang on so, the money? Okay. okay. Um, so, got guys that are doing, you know, fifty dives to fifteen meters um, over the course of a day. Um, a lot of these guys have adopted this this form of tempo breathing. What's kind of your advice to them? Is it any different when, you know, like, I'd, I'd love to hear your thoughts on it. I mean, okay, so I, I think there's actually, I think that tempo breathing while you're um, spearfishing is, is actually really unnatural. Like, it's it's not the, like, you know, okay, so let's, let's imagine the scenario. Like, you go down for a dive. Let's imagine that you swim around, nothing's going on, you come back up. You uh, do your recovery breathing, you breathe normally probably for a little bit and then you like get ready to go down again and then you maybe do a minute or two of this specialized breathing. Mm. Um, so I think the whole thing is a little bit unnatural and a little bit orchestrated and doesn't really like what happens if you're just sitting there and, and you know, some huge prize red mowong just swims by and you're like, oh, I've <laughs> got to have that mowong. <laughs> I love a red moe, yeah. I love them. But like, you know, then, then your whole thing's fucked and you mm. have like, do, do you know what I mean? Like I think the more you remove uh, the better – um, and so like, the, the, I think that the better way to do it is like the scenario is we're swimming around, we, we cruise down for a dive, we come up, we do our recovery breathing, and then we immediately start tidal breathing, which is the, the way that the body wants to breathe anyway. You just, you know, you just allow the body to, to breathe subconsciously or like without you controlling it. Does the, does the snorkel bugger that up a little bit? Like, does it bugger up like healthy tidal breathing? It, it can do. Like, so what, what you'll find is that you will be you will be breathing a little bit heavier than when you probably practiced it at home or in the pool or wherever. So for sure, yes, it, it because you, you've got a longer, uh, I suppose, like a longer what we'd call a dead air space, like a space where 
dead air, like air that you've exhaled out, can sort of sit, and so you will yeah. actually hold in a little bit more CO two in the body. So you so you have to therefore like breathe a little bit heavier. But okay. like you can just you just if you especially if you're doing some training in the pool, you just do your breathe ups with with your snorkel in. Like you just um you get a feel for it as time goes on. So it will be slightly more uh, slightly deeper breaths than when you like uh, doing it without the snorkel, but not too much. Upgrading the composite or carbon fiber spearfishing fins is a huge step in your spearfishing journey and you want to make a smart investment. So I'm going to suggest investing your moolah in penetrator fins. These fins have got a long lasting performance. They've got a warranty that outperforms anything else in the industry. Check them out at penetratorfins.com. Their before and after sales service is absolutely phenomenal. These fins are being worn by champions all over the world. Check them out at penetratorfins.com for a limited time only. Use the code NoobSparrow to save $25 on any purchase of composite or carbon fiber fins. Check them out, penetratorfins.com. Spearing Magazine possibly the world's best spearfishing publication. It's a spearing mag for Spiros by Spiros. Part of the reason I like Spearing Magazine so much is because there's crazy stories from Spiros just like you from all around the world. And it's what makes Spearing Magazine such a special publication. If you go to spearingmagazine.com, check out the article submissions page. There's a full guide to how to submit an article, but I would encourage you to do so because I want to read about your adventures and inspire everyone else to take on their next spearfishing adventure. That's at spearingmagazine.com. Cameron asks a pretty common question. Um, he says um, he'd be really interested in hearing your opinion on what, what can a beginner do to see the most improvement in their breath hold? Classic. But it, it, everyone asks the same question, so I can't fold them at all. Um, but it's, it's very common. So the, the, the best thing a beginner can do, if we were to make one exercise, would be for that person to do relaxing static breath holds. So. Okay. I think one of the one of the biggest mistakes that a lot of beginners make when they when they first start to, to train freediving is they and, and they they start this on their course because uh, you know a lot of instructors uh, like to get their students to do huge statics because then those students go home and they post about their course on Facebook and everyone's like mm. oh amazing <laughs> but like in the beginning there's really only one thing for a student to extract out of doing static breath hold training. Um, and that is like the ability to relax while holding the breath <laughs> at first, yeah. the ability to relax while like having that full lung sensation. And then as time goes on, the ability to relax as the urge to breathe kicks in. Mm. So like static breath hold is the foundation of freediving. Like mm. it's we're, we're, we're breath holders, right? So what that, what, what people who are first beginning need to do is they need to do a fair bit of static breath hold training. But they need to focus on relaxation and comfortable, happy, nice breath holds. Like this is where the beginning of the positive association starts. Like this is where this is where it all kicks off. Like you know, so the worst thing in the world you can do is go out there and just hold your breath and beat yourself to hell with contractions and the urge to breathe to get like a sick breath hold time. And that's cool because you get to brag, but it actually it, it doesn't train you. 
Yeah, yeah. That's, that's really funny. I mean, I had a father and son in the pool the other day. I mean, I teach people occasionally. I don't have any um, certifications in freediving, so it's probably really dodgy and shit. But this, this guy I work with wanted me, wanted me to take him and his son, and um, he's a really nice guy. He asked all the right questions, and he was just super enthusiastic. So I, I put them in the pool for a day of pool before we ever went out to the ocean. And um, one of the things I did work on them was, was, was static breath holds, just because I like them to understand what contractions are and, and to be able to try and relax through the first couple anyway, but just so that you get the messaging um, and you sort of understand that and, and just relaxing and chilling out with the breath holds. So that's cool. Um, I'm glad I did something right, which is a, which is a pleasant change. It's <laughs> <laughs> uh, really cool. All right, so um, where, where can they do these kind of static? Static sessions. I mean, there are these freediving groups around, um, and they're not they're not all accountants or proctologists, um, as we sort of identified. Um, th- is it just a matter of going on Facebook and finding these groups? You, you can pretty much type in if you're in Australia, uh, you can pretty much or most parts of the world, you type in the place that you live or the, at least the area that you live and freediving or spearfishing, and I guarantee you some kind of group will pop up in Facebook. Mm. You get in touch with that group, um, or or if you don't have access to the group, honestly, you you can do this on your own at home. So like yeah. the only kind of breath holds that we can never do on our own are in the water. But if you're just sitting sitting at home, like you can do, you can sit on the couch, you can lay in bed. And you can do these breath holds. Like you can just hold your breath, time yourself, start breathing. The second you feel like a discomfort that you're not happy with, mm. um, see what the time was, you know? Like <laughs> uh, like the, you can actually do that kind of stuff at home on your own. But that, cool. that really isn't the only thing because otherwise, you know, everyone starts dying and then, you know. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know exactly what you mean. Um, all right, cool. Kyle asks, um, how can I learn a – well, he doesn't say this. I'm, I'm making, I'm putting words in his mouth. But how can I do an effective duck diving technique with a spear gun in my hand? Oh yeah, stick your arm out. Uh, okay, <laughs> in front of you. <laughs> yeah. So okay. So when when you do a duck dive, we what the best thing to do is actually to point both of your arms um, vertically down in front of you, right? So you point them straight down, and then as you bend 90 degrees at the waist or at the hips, uh, that you you follow the direction of the arms. So you do the same thing with a gun. So the best thing to do is to hold your arms outstretched vertically, so facing straight down, and in one of those hands is your gun. And then as you bend uh, 90 degrees at the hips, you'll follow the, you'll follow the gun straight down mm. and you'll follow the path of the gun, if that makes sense. Mm. Um, the worst thing to do is actually have the gun horizontal. So, like, you don't want to have it like you know facing the same way as the surface of the water. You want to have the gun pointed in the direction that you want to be duck diving to or diving to, and then you'll follow the direction. Sensational. Yeah, I, I tend to hold it sort of two thirds of the way up, maybe halfway up the barrel, and then just use my wrist to, to point it in the direction I want to I want to go in. That works exactly. That yeah, you don't have to be holding the handle for sure. Mm-mm-mm. Cool, man. Um, awesome. I think you answered that question really well. Um, I, I noticed recently that you started posting uh, more vids about spearfishing. I loved it. I saw one where you jumped in with your dad, I believe. Yeah. And uh, that was a good. That was a good laugh. Um, tell us. T- can you share with me a little bit of a story about getting into spearfishing? And um, did you, do you have you copped any flack from the freediving world about it? I mean, and I'd love to hear a little bit about your ethical take on spearfishing. Man, I copped so much, so much flack about it. But like, 
you can't take it on board because in the, in the end of the day, like you've just got to you just got to be you and do the things you want to do. And there's always someone out there that's going to give you shit. Like um, <laughs> when yeah. I if, like you know, like there's a lot of spearers out there that give me shit uh, because they think I'm a free diver. And then if I do a bit of spearing, they're like, "Oh, this guy's all right." And then all the vegans attack me. Oh, it's stupid, isn't it? <laughs> Uh, you can't please everyone. You just got to do your no. thing. But yeah, I, I yeah. cop shit no matter what I do. That's the yeah. reality. Um, but so, you know, okay, so I, I, I got into, like, I grew up pole spearing, basically like uh, spearing rock cod around, like, in the beach, you know what I mean? Like amongst the, the toddlers and, and swimmers and that? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Every now and again, you know, you get a toddler in the fire, but, you know. <laughs> Well, you just apologise to the mum and make sure you've got your mask on in place so they, they, they can't identify you clearly. <laughs> yeah. um, so then I, I, I'd sort of been competing in freediving for a few years and I had, like I had, as an adult I'd done no spearing. So I'd been zipping around the world freediving. I got home and uh, I ended up getting uh, sort of like uh, in touch with a few spearing shops uh, because I was like, oh, you know, I could run free diving courses for your clients. And then I was like, and they were like, oh, yeah, that sounds pretty good. But do you know anything about spearing? And I was like, oh, well, oh, I suppose. Yeah, no, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> and so they took me out. They took me out spearing. And um, uh, the, the first fish I ever shot was a uh, like a six or seven kilo mahi-mahi. Out oh, nice. Yeah, I know, right? I had like I was like I had the expectations were high from the beginning, and it's all been downhill from there. <laughs> yeah. Then you got back in short of the three feet visibility and the red mawongs. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That is exactly what happened. Yeah. Uh, and, and then I just I just I really enjoyed it to be honest. Like, uh, like I I I don't know if there's a way to say this that doesn't make you sound bloodlusty, but I really enjoyed the hunt. I really enjoyed hunting. I really enjoyed going out there and getting like meat. Oh man, you're you're preaching to the choir here. So, like, if 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 you're on a um, yogi freediving podcast, maybe it'd be going down differently. But no, I'm I'm a hundred percent on board with what you're saying. So I, I I love the hunt. I love the mind, the state of mind you get into when you're hunting. Like how like like everything in the world just shuts down and you just get like real tactical and specific, you know what I mean? And like mm. and slow and stealthy in the way you move in the water. I love that. And yeah. um, I just kept doing it. I just kept spearing. And I'd spear uh, wherever I would go. Uh, like there were a lot of places where I'd go to where you couldn't do any spearing because like, you know, there'd be like national parks or things like that. But most places I went to around the world, um, you could spear fish and I, and I would spear fish. Mm. Uh, and like, you know, like, like nothing, like I'm, I'm not a, I'm not a great Spiro. Um, I just like I'm a pretty average Spiro. Uh, I think most of the, actually I tell you, what I what I lack is because I'm i never really in the same in the one area for a long time, and so I, yeah, I really yeah. the understanding of the species in in the areas I go to and how to behave and how to hunt them. Yeah, so I always yeah. lack that. I'm always just going in guns blazing like bang bang bang. <laughs> <laughs> it's hard to adapt, isn't it? And every environment's so different and techniques 
all over the world change. Um, some of them are related, but you're trying to get a different outcome as well. So I mean, it's, I mean, that's why every every show I, I tend to ask every guest what their favourite species to hunt is and how do they do it effectively because everyone's kind of got a different take on it. And um, but when you get into that mindset, there's very much a learning curve, and it's it's friggin' awesome. The world does shut down. It's just you in a battle with a fish, and it's excellent. Totally. And you're always like you're always against this clock, which is your breath hold time, and you're always mm. like what you can quite what you can get out of the situation before you've got to go back up. And so, I mean, what, what's um one of the what can you remember a fish that you're really particularly proud of? I mean, it doesn't even have to be a particularly great fish, but sometimes the it's it's more about the hunt um, than the actual quality or the size or whatever of the fish that you got in the end. Can is there a, is there a real memorable hunt or stalk you can think of that you were proud of? Uh, the the fish I'm the most proud of was my first and only Spanish mackerel. <laughs> okay, cool. So, um, so I, I, I uh, there was this one time where I, I basically moved to Cairns for a while, mm-hmm. and uh, I was hanging out with a lot of the boys up there, and I was teaching freediving courses in the area, and, and kind of just like spearing whenever, whenever you know, it was spearing a reasonable amount, like you know, because I wasn't teaching freediving courses, you are mostly just working on the weekend, and you spend the whole week just sitting around like waiting. So, yeah. you know, we go out midweek and spear a lot. And uh, I, I just couldn't, like I was with all these guys and, and, you know, mind you, like I'm able to dive to 100 odd meters and I'm able to go down and hold my breath for a really long time. And I'm with all these guys and just shoot, shooting spanos all day and I just could not even get close to one. And I'm like, and they're like, oh, Adam, you got to go down like this. And if it's going this way, you got to tack the other way so it comes in closer and never look it in the eyes and this and this. I'm like, well, if I'm not looking at the fish, like how am I going to know where it is? And, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I just remember the the one time where it all clicked and I went down and you know the the, the mackerel was sort of swimming uh, towards me but off to the left hand side and so I looked away and swam towards it but off to the right and okay. then it sort of like came in closer. Um, which then allowed me to sort of like turn around and just like line up this very bad shot, but get it in, and that was it. <laughs> <laughs> and what, what, where did you put the shot on the fish? Was it quartering away from you? Um, was it up in the, some some good bony structure? Oh, it was right, right near the back, like right in the tail. Like. <laughs> oh. <laughs> <laughs> that can actually it can actually be a good shot on a pela- on a pelagic fish it wasn't for me like it was ba- barely like I, when we got it to the surface everyone's like oh shit put the second shot in quick <laughs> <laughs> but how, how, how big was it not big at all it was it was just legal <laughs> but that- they're a funny fish to shoot. Like oh, I think I shot ten. I shot ten of those fish before I landed one. Uh, like it was either sharks or it was tear offs. Um, there was just a whole host of reasons I just couldn't land one. And and you know how bad it feels to shoot and wound a fish and it swims off. It's terrible. So they were a real frustrating fish to me. And I, I got I got stricter on gear. Um, how, like particularly how I tuned my flopper. And then I, I made sure that I was making very deliberately shooting um, up towards the head and in some bony structure. And I found I had a much, much more luck with that. Um, Cause once you get it in there, it's just, it's very difficult for that um, thing to come back. But also with uh, mackerel, you can pull too hard on them and um, they, they go hard and your spear will tear right out. So you've got to let them go a bit. I was, uh, at the, I was using a reel on, for that, on that dive. I, I quite like I like spearing with a reel. To be honest, I find I find that trailing a float around to be very um, 
it's very it's a very like uh, encumbering like you, mm. you know what I mean dragging that thing around I much prefer a reel but then obviously like you know that's not not too safe <laughs> well the other way the way guys are getting around with it now is they might have a, a bungee hanging off um, like a float with a flag or they run like a a flasher with a flag on it um, that, and then you can run two guys with reels one guy just sort of monitors the float and then you can you can you can do it, but a lot of guys do just go with reels, and I do understand the appeal of it. It's just a visibility issue, I think, uh, is is probably one of the biggest issues. Mm. Yeah, cool. Have you had any scary situations, Spearing? Um, because from a freediving point of view, I'd imagine you you'd have your bases covered, and you're probably diving really conservatively for what you're capable of. It'd be more sea life or or um, boats or something. To, yeah, to, to be absolutely honest, I don't know if I've ever had like a genuine, oh, what am I even talking about? Mate, I gave myself decompression illness spearing once. Oh, really? Just multiple deep dives? No, multiple shallow dives. <laughs> okay, oh, wow. so it, yeah, so this is, this is the thing that I think is not very um, uh, well publicized in the spearfishing community is that you get decompression illness. Um, you don't have to dive deep to get it. So, so this was the scenario. So, uh, okay, there was this... Chinese billionaire who said, hey, Adam, I would like you to come on my yacht and teach me how to freedive. And I was like, oh, that sounds pretty good. I'll do that. <laughs> I'll take him to me. I'll take it up as well. I'll take it. It does sound good. Uh, look, I, tell, I wouldn't take it again. But <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so yeah, what, live and learn. Got, got to this guy's yacht um, and basically worked out that he had absolutely no interest in learning how to freedive. He wanted me to cruise around, shoot fish, and then he wanted to take photos with the fish. <laughs> oh, it's terrible. It's like the worst scenario. Yeah, it was an easy gig. So I basically swam around with a mate um, who, you know, because I told him I needed a safety, right? Um, and he was the owner of, a, of, the, of the local spearfishing shop who helped me line the gig up. Uh, and so I swam around with him. Uh, for three days, basically just uh, spearing. This was on uh, Broughton Island in, uh, you know, around uh, Port Stephens in New South Wales. And we were just spearing Moong and, and like, you know, going after kingies in the area. And I promise you, I did not dive deeper than 10 metres in those three days. And most of my dives would have been anything from three to five metres and not even for a long time. But, you know, the thing is, is when you're spearing at those depths is that you will always recover and get and be ready to dive again faster than your body has the ability to off gas the nitrogen that has built up in your body from the dive. And so uh, on the afternoon of the third day, just like, you know, too many rapid, too many dives and too, too, too short a period of time. And obviously like, you know, I was, for me, I was like, so you know, you just dive down three or four or five meters, like, you know, up, down, up, down, up, down. Um, and I got onto the boat and my skin was all just like red and tingly and rashy. And I was just like really, really fatigued. And, and so I got really lucky. Like that's mild decompression illness, you know, like, and I just jumped on the oxygen and hydrated up. And by the next morning I was okay. Uh, so like, that's what they'd call getting skin bent. Uh, so mm. I didn't have any issues with, you know, having symptoms of stroke or paralysis like most other freedivers get. <laughs> yeah. Thanks, uh, but that that's probably the the scariest scenario I've been in with spearing was just um, being a, being a hero at five meters. So I remember, like when I did my scuba diving stuff, I remember learning all about it. And so, like the the carbon dioxide in your bloodstream goes soluble, and then as you come up, if you don't 
uh, uh, the the it's got a return to a gaseous state, but there's a, there's a time period and a, and a and and the pressure gradient's got to be at a certain rate to allow that that process to happen. I, I thought with freediving we avoided most of that though. Is that and that's not the case, is what you say? No, no. So like, um, okay, so the, we we don't actually know how and why a freediver gets decompression illness from from too much nitrogen um, during freediving. We don't. So it, oh, it might. Yeah, we, oh yeah, yeah. I know she called it. I, I was like, sorry, faux pas. You ignored it well. You ignored it well. <laughs> <laughs> You should have you should have corrected me like it would have been hilarious. I would have blushed. It would have been great. <laughs> uh, no, 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 no. Um, uh, so yeah, it, it might it might be a totally different type of decompression illness because like uh, there are many like if you go by the like this what we know about decompression illness, freedivers are getting it when we when they shouldn't be getting it. Do you know what I mean? There are cases of it happening all the time when it shouldn't be happening. And so there's like some like okay, but one one of the latest theories is that uh, when our tissues become hypoxic, they're not uh, as EV like you know it, it, it they store or they hold on to excessive levels of nitrogen. Whereas when you're not hypoxic, that wouldn't happen. But what we know about decompression illness comes from scuba diving, and hypoxia isn't a factor in that. Mm. So, but yeah, you really you really can get get uh, get deco from from uh, from freediving, and and it's most common for spearos. So um, there are more cases of decompression illness in spearfishing. There, there are more cases of deco in spearing than in freediving. Um, and that's only because, like, we tend to be a lot more controlled in in our diving because we do one big dive a day and go home, right? You're not uh, zipping up and down to 20 meters 50 times. And possibly because, like, at least 50 percent of you guys have all got ponytails, that probably helps somehow in the process as well. We're, we're just so in touch with our body. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that that dolphin kick, you know, it's just so relaxing. That probably gets rid of a whole lot of the nitrogen on its own. Just those hip. Those hip thrusts. You've got to thrust hard though, and that's how you get all the nitrogen out. <laughs> if you're here today, you love listening to a free podcast. And uh, to go with that, I've got some free online courses. Head over to noobspirit.com forward slash TED. There's one course in there called How to Take a 20 to 30% Bigger Breath and learn how to make the mammalian dive reflex work for you. Now, basically, this course will help you to take down more fuel. And if you can take down more fuel, you can stay there for longer. So check it out, newspirit.com forward slash TED. Get a bigger breath hold. Hey, I'm real conscious of time, Adam. I'm having a really good yarn, but I want to move into the Veterans Vault, which is uh, which I wanted to dial in around equalising because it's such a bugbear. Um, it's, take, it's taken us a while to circle around to it, but um, it's got to be one of the most... Comp- Common complaints, I reckon, for new freedivers, new Spiros, everyone's sort of got the same stuff. And I don't want to get too togged, uh, bogged down with technical language and, um, you know, because we're, we're monosyllable-loving Spiros and definitely not dedicated freedivers by any stretch. But um, let's go into equalising. Um, basic physiology, basic techniques, the, the works. Um, give us a rundown. All right, so basic equalisation. So you, you can literally, like, okay... The, what you have to do is you have to, as the air is compressing as you go down, you've got to put more air into your air spaces, right? Mm. So you can do this with two ways. You can just like 
push with your with your respiratory muscles. You push with your like your stomach. Uh, you push with uh, your like your, your your intercostal muscles, which are your exhaling muscles. And mm. if you're pinching your nose, and you do that, if you're like exhaling out your nose and you pinch your nose, then the air will build up in your nasal cavity, otherwise known as your nose hole for the spiros out there. Um, and, uh, and the air will go into your ears or into your middle ear. Uh, the other way is that you can use your oral muscles to equalize your middle ears. But in, in general, uh, to, you know, I, th- I think actually to map out uh, everything that's involved in equalization, with only my voice <laughs> might be a bit. Yeah, yeah, it's difficult. And so we we probably, but you know, okay, because I think most people know how to equalize. Right? I think most people know that they pinch their nose, they blow. It, it was a good intro, and we've discussed sort of Valsalva and Frenzel before on the show, and a lot of the issues are just guys don't know how to do Valsalva. Frenzel can be, sorry, um, Valsalva can be very effective for scuba divers who descend feet first. Frenzel's more for us. Um, but there, t- there seems to be a, a, a barrier, but it, 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 some guys seem to be able to overcome it by reading some text and then bang, whammo, they can do it. Other guys just seem to work it out intuitively, but it's a very tricky thing and not everyone gets it. So, yeah. Yes. I'll tell you that the, the, two, the two most common issues we get in, in equalizing in general, right? Or like, especially in friendly equalization. So mm. the, the most common issue with equalization is what we call a feet first equalizer. So a feet first equalizer is a person that struggles to equalize when they're going down completely vertical. And we get this in spearing a lot because, uh, and we actually, we get some pretty advanced spearos coming along who still can't equalize vertically because they've been spearing most of their life going down at very uh, shallow angles. Um, but basically what happens here is that, uh, okay, if I, if I was holding a ball and I just pegged that ball at you, you would naturally like, like tense up and brace, right? Mm. Right. You'd like, you know, you'd all, your muscles would all lock up. You'd close your eyes. You'd squint. You'd look away. <laughs> That's I'd the dodge, bracing. I'd, I'd dodge that sucker. Yeah, oh, yeah, you'd dodge it. Sorry, sorry. Then you just sidestep yeah. it and yeah. throw it right Looking, back at me. Just an elite, you know, 125 kilo man. You know, that's what I'd do. (laughs) (laughs) So so the same thing happens to about 25% of the entire population when they go underwater. So the muscles in their mouth go into a bracing position. So what happens is uh, in their brain, they are trying to stop water or anything that they view as threatening from going into the lungs. So the, the tongue smashes itself up against the roof of the mouth, and that closes the soft palate. And the soft palate is the opening into the nasal cavity or the nose hole. Um, and so if the soft palate is closed, then you cannot equalize, or you will struggle to equalize going down head first. So what we have to do is we have to get those divers to dive down uh, at shallow angles, or the best way to actually do it, is to get those divers to dive down on a line feet first for a few days in a row. So basically the soft palate kind of like dangles around in the mouth. And when you're diving down feet first, gravity is holding the soft palate in a down open position, which allows air to move into the nasal cavity. So, but without that, like, and so, and then we do it for a few days so that we are effectively doing it. We do it for long enough to train it to be a new habit. But, if we don't do that, a diver will never learn how to unclench or unbrace their, their tongue and their soft palate or, or you know, just their, their oral cavity or the muscles in their mouth. 
and it's 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 just natural. It's just natural for a lot of people to even if they're if they're comfortable with water, like it happens a lot to surfers because you know they have a different kind of association with going into the water or under the water, especially if they get wiped out. Hold downs the joys. Oh yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> so, uh, so that the yeah people who are struggling to equalize head down, they need to do a few days in a row of feet first diving. Like no fins, just pull yourself down like fireman pole style down the line as deep as you can go, uh, and then up again. And you know the deeper you go like that, the better because you'll be working with a greater depths. And then you flip around and we get a lot of success. Uh, if you don't get success when you flip around, you keep going until you do. You know what I mean? Um, okay, cool. But it's, it's the only effective way that we know of to, to, un, to train that out. Now, the other reason why uh, people are struggling sometimes to friends or equalize is because for most of free diving history, we had the anatomy wrong. So we used to always say, oh, frenzel is with the tongue. You know, you use the tongue to equalize. And that's not actually true. And we, we found this out when I first went to the MRI and then other people have since gone to the MRI. I've sent another four or five people into the MRI and we, the evidence, like the, like everything was consistent. So we are, we use the tongue to create, to, to, to basically put the tongue against the roof of the mouth, which stops uh, the, the pressurized air we create in the mouth from leaving the mouth. And we use the larynx, which are the muscles in our throat, to lift up and create the pressure. So I think yeah. we've been, I, people have been trying to play with their tongue, and you can't create pressure with the tongue. Uh, mm. You need to lift up the throat. So tongue goes against the roof of the mouth, the throat lifts up, and then if you've got your nose, your nose pinched, you'll equalize your ears. Now... You've got some fantastic video resources, and I would be it would be remiss of me if I forgot to mention them. Um, I'm going to link some up in today's show notes. So <laughs> we'll have Noob Sparrow forward slash, um, how about Stern Techniques? No, it sounds like a school teacher. Now, how about just um, noobsparrow.com forward slash Adam? I'm going to link up a host of your videos. You've got a Frenzel video, you've got the MRI video you, you talk about in that. And if people join your Patreon, they can get access to much more content as well. So I will link, link that up in today's show notes because I think you do need some visual assists with a lot of this. Um, the, the, what about people's head position and hydration and things like that? Are they more peripheral type um, issues? Yeah, they're not the main things. Like, uh, I don't know anyone who would not be able to equalize uh, due to their head position. I don't know anyone who would not be able to equalize due to hydration, except for like very extreme cases. But in the in those cases, like if you're a competent equalizer, you can equalize when you're dehydrated. If you're a competent equalizer, you can equalize with your head in any position. Mm, okay, cool. All right, let's dig into some community questions. Harley asked a while ago he says um i've tried every technique and also holding my nose uh oh yeah okay sorry so harley's question is kind of addressed in what we've talked about he needs to learn frenzel and possibly do this foot down technique uh when i tilt my head oh okay hung says thanks for the awesome content i find it difficult to equalize when completely upside down but when i tilt when i tilt my head up to go back to horizontal position i can easily equalize is is that something we've already sort of addressed? That's what I was talking about before when I said that uh, you know he's a person who you'd refer to as a feet first equalizer. So that person that like he needs to go and uh, dive on a line feet first for a few mm. days in a row to retrain the position that they are holding the muscles in their mouth when they equalize. Okay, cool. What about these one ear people? They go, oh yeah, my my, my left ear equalizes no problem, but my right doesn't. 
um, that seems to be another sort of complaint I hear a little bit. Totally. So we got two. We got two scenarios going on here. So one could be that one eustachian tube is tighter than the other, and that's a really easy solve. Uh, you do. Through some equalizing exercises, which would take me about 10 minutes to explain here, so I won't go into them. Uh, you can, but they are on, like, just on YouTube for free access and that kind of jazz. So plug, plug, plug. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Adam Stern, Freediver YouTube channel. Do you want me to say, I'll say it like eight times if we have to. Yeah, but, oh, yeah, yeah, 100%. But, but seriously, man, like, you've, you've got some fantastic content on there. So, okay, keep going, keep going. So you, you can do like a, a stretching exercise where you increase the flexibility of your eustachian tubes, which are what lead to your middle ear. Uh, and that you can, you can dramatically improve the flexibility of your ears in like a very short period of time, in days. Um, so you can do these exercises for several days or several weeks in a row. And what will happen is uh, you'll inc- like your tight tube will become more flexible and then you won't, uh, you'll be able to equalize them both with more ease. But often people can just have one inflexible tube, uh, which is quite common. Uh, the other, the other thing is a little bit more tricky and that's uh, these people sometimes if people have like, they got one ear that equalizes and one that doesn't, they'll have a deviated septum. So the shape of their nasal cavity will not be even or equal. And so like, for example, if you imagine like they may have like, uh, they might have like a, an, an obstruction to one of their ears um, and you can really, you can tell if you have got a deviated septum really easily, if you go stand in front of a mirror and lift your nose up, and if the middle of your nose protrudes out to the left or the right, then you've probably got a deviated septum. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were going to start talking about a deviated rectum there because I think one of those proctologists at an early freediver meeting, he was going to try and fix that for me, but um, <laughs> probably not such an easy solve and, and not related. But To, to yeah. solve, if you have a deviated septum, the, mm. the fix for that is the exact same thing as I described before. It's the ear stretching exercise because if you make your eustachian tubes more flexible, then they require less pressure to open them. Uh, so if you, if that's the case, that's what you do as well for both of those things. So what's the title of that video on YouTube? Can you remember offhand? Is it is it eustachian tube stretching? Is it is it? It'll it will be one of the friends. I think it's the, it's the advanced Frenzel uh, video, or or it might even just be the MRI video. It'll be it'll be one of the equalization videos. I think I have three okay. or four equalization videos, but I do forget which one it is. I'm going to link all four of them up today, noobspiro.com forward slash Adam. So they'll, all four of them will be there. You'll just have to go through all of them. Um, oh, give me those views, guys. Come on. Yeah, yeah. Um, you've got thousands of views. Um, Luke says, I've been struggling with sinus infection for the past few months. Uh, what's the best way to recover from sinus or cold symptoms to get back out diving? Rest, man. I, like that's It's the worst answer on earth uh, because there's, there's very little you can do that is proactive, if that makes sense. Like yeah. Often the more that you interfere with your sinuses, the worse things get. So, um, okay, I'll, t- I'll tell you what I think is the only thing that a person should be doing to their sinuses, and this is, a, a, I suppose, like a non-invasive method. The flush. So if you have – no, I think you see a flush is invasive, right? So, like, I think a flush, you're putting a lot of water or saline or whatever into your nose and, and moving things around. And the, and the truth is is that uh, a flush will never really go into the upper sinuses, which is uh, where the problem usually is. Like, the lower sinuses are very easy to clear out. The upper sinuses are where, like, the long blockages occur. So the best thing you can do is to – first, you go for, like, you do some exercise. So you increase uh, your body temperature and you increase blood flow to the head. Yeah, and then you go and you do some sinus steaming. So you um, like you know, you 
put some hot water in a bowl. If you have some like eucalyptus or something like that, like some like decongestant, you put that in as well. But all you have to do is just inhale the steam. So you just sit there like with a towel over your head, inhaling the steam. Uh, mm. and you do that for a while and then you go out when you do that and you you um, you just snot everywhere. <laughs> you know, it's like and blow yeah. everything. Now, when you're doing that snotting everywhere, don't put a hand over one nostril and like blow out one nostril and then blow out the other one because often then you can push mucus up into the blockage. Just uh, blow without pinching one nostril. Okay. Um, and do that often and it should it should speed things up. A lot of... A lot of sparrows, and, I, and maybe it's the same for fruit, I was, um, although I don't know where we draw the distinction there sometimes, um, they seem to, you know, a lot of guys have overgrowth of, like, bone and stuff, and they end up going to an ENT and having everything drilled out. Do you think that's an extreme option? I mean, because it seems to be, like, more and more common, to be honest. Yeah. I, I think that a person should do absolutely everything in their power to be able to dive without that kind of a surgery. Um, that kind of a surgery uh, doesn't always work, it, and it's always horrible. It's never – like it's a horrible surgery. It's a horrible recovery, mm -hmm. and you're out of the water for like usually a year. Um, yeah. uh, I think that in most cases, like a, a divers will, instead of seeking out, I suppose, like some proper – like the right kind of expertise, they go to an ENT, uh, and the end, the ENT always will opt for, you know, that kind of a thing. They're a doctor. That's what they know how to do. But I think that there are methods to be able to dive comfortably without resorting to that kind of a thing. Mm. Okay, non-surgical stuff. Yeah, it seems – yeah, we do seem to want to go Western medicine stuff to surgery or pills for everything. Sometimes it's, it's, it's nice if we can get some non-invasive interventions. And I, I think – your um, eustachian tube stretching exercise is a fantastic example of that because that could probably be misdiagnosed or something and, and end up being a surgery when it doesn't have to be. So uh, There have uh, been a good dozen cases of that in with my students. Like they've gone to an ENT and they've said, oh, yeah, we'll just, we'll just uh, you know, you've got a deviated septum, we'll fix the deviation, la di da di da uh, And then I've said, why don't you try just to stretch your eustachian tubes before you go and get that surgery done? And then they've increased flexibility and then they've dived, they're diving happily and they've never had the surgery. There's been no need. Yeah, nice, cool. Um, cool. Well, ENO's throat specialists are an option if you've got advanced problems with that. And you, I think you need a referral from a from a general practitioner to do it but um, some of them know diving too so they, they can be a fantastic option um, Kelly says hands free equalisation he's done your course he says I just can't do it um, <laughs> and I, I feel his pain he, he had a really sad face emoji um, really top guy he's actually a patron of ours on Noob Spiro um, can, can, we, can we help him out Okay, so we need that now. Hands-free equalization is pretty easy, in, if you look at the mechanics now. But it's hard to get one of the things because okay, so what we're learning how to do with hands-free equalization is we're learning how to position the soft palates, the muscles in the roof of your mouth, in a very specific position, which tug on the on the bottom half of your eustachian tube, so it's like pulling them open. Right, so you position the soft palate that pulls on the eustachian tube, and then we can lift up with the throat to push a little bit of the air that's in our mouth into our middle ear, and we don't and we don't need to create pressure because it's already open. Yeah. So, but what we're trying to do here is we're trying to move the soft palate in a very specific position, which uh, which will open the eustachian tubes, 
Mm. Um, but we can't see that position. So it's kind of like learning how to raise an eyebrow. Like, you know, it's yeah. like learning how to raise one eyebrow, except you can never look at your eyebrows. I'm just doing it now because I have had some success with it in the past and my jaw goes back a little bit and my ears feel like they move. Is that is that is that kind of it? Well, what's probably happening there is you're moving your jaw. Be- <laughs> so in our, in our, yeah, well, in our mouth, we have a lot of paired movements because we, we always we never use muscles in isolation in the mouth. Like we never mm. use the tongue. Well, we're not speaking, so we're also opening and closing the vocal co- the vocal cords. We're also lifting the larynx up and down to change the pitch and the tone of our voice. So we never use these muscles in isolation. So when you think move the soft palate, you're probably like wriggling the jaw, the jaw around, um, <laughs> you know. But you don't like so uh, you don't need to move the jaw around. Although if you are doing it and it's helpful, just go with it, and then later down the line, remove it. Get rid of that weird shit. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. But the, the, so the hard thing here is is to learn how to position the soft palate, and there's literally nothing you can do but sit in front of a mirror and play with it, and play with the positioning that you're putting things in, and see if it causes the same sensation as um, as like for example uh, when you get that crackly ear sound when you're yawning. So if you can position the soft palate in that in that way, and and you can hear like a, a similar crackly sound, especially when you're lifting up with the throat, then you know you're in the right position. So you have to learn how to find that position. And then once you've found the position, you've got to make the coordination stronger. And then, then your no hands will work very shallow and it'll work when you go down feet first. So, um, you know, you go to take your fins off to send down feet first and then you'll be like, oh, cool, I can no hands. And you'll flip over and then it won't be strong enough. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? So it, it- Yeah, that... That, that's what I find with mine. It's just not. It's not strong enough. It, it can be good for the first few, and then it, it's yeah. It just lacks enough power to fully equalise. Yeah. So in in these cases, like if in, in your case, what you actually need to do is um, is do it faster. So you'll probably find if you can hands free equalise for a few meters, you probably have a decent hands free equalisation. But you just need to equalise more because when you're frenzling, you really inflate the ears. But when you're ha- doing hands free. You, you don't inflate them fully, so you just need to equalize probably twice as much. And you'll find you can probably do it pretty deep. Okay. All right. I'm going to have a crack at that. That's cool. I wish I had a better answer um, for, the, for the question besides that you really just have to spend the time. If I'm with a person, I can give them more information, right, or more I can work with yeah. them. But if I, I just say, look, you, you've got to find that position and then roll from there. We've got, um, like, Ted Hardy's been a fairly frequent guest on the podcast. He's from Immersion Freediving in the States. I'm not sure if you're familiar with him. He used to run, like, full-on Skype sessions and teach people friends and that, and then he's turned it into a, an online course as well. And um, I, I think it, it's been powerful. Like, a couple of my friends have had good success with it, and so we, we, we promote his stuff on that. Um, have you got a hands-free um, tutorial specific like course people can do? I certainly do. Um, so we, what we've done now, what we're in the process of doing, is where we basically are making um, a complete digital like video course for every level of freediving. So there's like level one, two, three, like yeah. everything, so that anyone can basically access the information anywhere. Um, and so I have a Frenzel Advanced Frenzel and hands-free equalization course. Okay, cool. And that's uh, it's like thirty nine bucks or something like that, so it's not expensive. Okay, cool. It sounds very similar to to, to Ted's stuff, and um, I, it's funny to have a competing um, thing mentioned. But I mean, it's great to have to give people options. I think, and um, 
and it sounds like people are already doing it anyway because Kelly's already got his hands on it. But like all of these things sound like a lot of repetition. Like I remember reading through Frenzel Fatah, um, this like 40 page document on how to do it. And I was just like, oh, this is painful. Um, but they're just like, if you, if you want to learn these skills, these little, these very small skills for, um, they, they just involve a lot of time. Well, I mean, because what we're talking about is muscle isolation and muscle mm. control with muscles inside the mouth that mm. we use for totally different purposes. So we have a lot of habits already for speaking, mm. eating, and breathing. And then we have <laughs> to learn how to use those muscles for a whole different thing, which has nothing to do with speaking, eating, or breathing. So, <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> so it, it cool. can just take time. Cool. Um, I had a couple of questions. Um, how do you clean your ears? My ears. Mm. Do you do you ever clean the wax out with like cotton buds or like um, do you dry them? Um, all of this sort of stuff. I usually go down the the non-intervention route for most yeah. things with with my with my body in that sense. Like, um, so if you obviously if you've got issues with with ears and uh, you know you go get it cleared out. But I would I, I would go to I would if I was going to get my ears cleaned, I would go to a doctor because the second you stick a, a an earbud in your ear and start wriggling things around, you just move the wax deeper and you just you know irritate things. But I think the best thing you can probably do is that, like, uh, okay, so every time I go to a new dive location, like, okay, for example, in Australia, I never get ear infections. Uh, I go to Bali or, like, some areas in Southeast Asia where I go to frequently, I never get ear infections. I go to a new place and, like, the bacteria is new for me, I start getting yeah. ear infections. So yeah. I, I just get out of the water and I've got, like, a little bottle uh, which is, like, um, one-third water, one-third vinegar, one-third alcohol. And I tip it into my ears, I rinse it around, and I wash it out with fresh water again. Okay, interesting, and that and that allows your ears to acclimatize. You think to this new bacteria? Oh, totally. Well, I mean, over time, for sure. I think I find that as I go on, and I don't need it anymore. It's usually it's actually usually only in the first few weeks in a new location. Yeah, I, I hate the alcohol-based ones that some people try and give you because I think drying it out is is terrible. Like especially because it's skin, and if you dry it out, then there's no good shit left in there either. So. I always did it with like um, olive oil with a little bit of like eucalyptus or something in it, but um, your way sounds good too. Well, you, honestly, you could even just use bottled water. Like fresh water will do probably just as good a job as anything else. Like all you need to do is get the water, the ocean water out. Yeah, yeah. Okay, cool. Okay, what about um, multiple days diving? You know, like we've talked about Spiros, like our dive profiles are different than um, free divers. Often we'll do 40 or more d- dives in a day i'm not saying that's maybe you maybe a lot of free divers do that as well i'm not sure but um if you do like three or four days out on a charter your ear my ears my ears are hammered like from bad equalizing technique probably as much as anything but like i'll go from from feast to famine you know what i mean like there'll be no diving for a month and then i might get three days in a row how do you how do you look after your ears for that that stretch you you just have to make the call on the dives when you're not equalizing well to go back up because like this happens to me as well. I get, I get a few days in and then it gets trickier and trickier and trickier. And the truth is if I, when I really search and I look back, I'm like, Oh, there was that dive where I just (laughs) wanted to hit the bottom and I didn't feel really good in the ears, but I went anyway. And you've (laughs) just, you've just got to treat the ears with respect. You know, that treat your ears like a lady. You know, <laughs> well, I won't you, treat them. you use and abuse your ears, and they will. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> 
Great analogy. I love that. That was fantastic. Um, cool, man. Hey, let's wrap up Veterans Vault. Did you have any parting information, tips, or advice for equalising in general? Yeah, look, just just to be patient with it because it, it is a really weird thing that you're learning. It's not like you're, you're learning how to move strange muscles in strange ways, strange ways for a strange activity. So just don't don't get frustrated with yourself. Just you know, treat it like a big joke. You're doing weird shit in the mouth anyway, so just have fun <laughs> and it'll come as time goes on. Is that more spear fishing shit? Yeah, it is, honey, but it's my favourite podcast. You just kind of stop yourself. You're obsessed. Well, that's true, but Shrek told me I'd, I'd lose my 90s dad look. Baby, it's all for you. Noobspero.com forward slash mad gear. Hats, beanies, tank tops, t-shirts and hoodies. For noobers mad about spearing, head over to noobspero.com forward slash mad gear. Cool, man. Hey, a couple of questions to round us out. Um, but first, a funny story. What's one of the funniest things that's happened to you at spearfishing or freediving? Gosh. I always love a good poo story, to be honest. I haven't heard one for a while, but but I, didn't, I don't want to give you a train of thought. <laughs> all right, all right. I'll give you – mate, you want poo stories? You're going to get poo stories. <laughs> uh, um, uh, a few weeks ago, I was at the pool. Um <laughs> <laughs> It's a great start. Right? So uh, every every now and again, uh, before I do like a a maximum dynamic, so like a big long swim, um, you know, you're a little bit nervous and, you know, you cruise along, you have some pretty heavy contractions and you're swimming for a long distance. And uh, every now and again, you come up from your big swim and you've shat yourself a little bit. And that happened to me a few weeks ago, which was good fun, as it always is. but it's not it's not that unheard of. So like, okay, so I've got a good friend uh, whose name won't be mentioned, and he has to shit before every single dive. Like it's a part of his oh. ritual. Like we get we go out on the boat, and he he does like a warm up dive, and he he'll do one warm up and then a deep dive. So he goes out, does a warm up, and then he swims away, does his shit, comes back, and does his deep dive. <laughs> <laughs> and um, I think they just like, like there was so much pooing go- that goes on in the world of. I, I think like once the di- I think the dive reflex just makes you need to shit sometimes. My my mate reckons it's it's the diaphragm for him. Like he reckons as soon as it's yeah he he he's the same as your mate. He's just got a shit. And I will name and shame him. His name is Matt Gill. <laughs> uh, so. So one. This so this wasn't anything to do with me, but this was some people at a comp. So um, this was at Vertical Blue, which was in the Bahamas. And um, the blue hole is at the end of this big bay. Um, and it's a 200-meter deep blue hole where the comp takes place in. And so, like, you know, like it's a very isolated beach. And so there's no, like, toilets or anything down there. So uh, a mate of mine um, uh, basically got down the beach and he sw- swam off up the bay to take a shit. And it just so happened that the tide was bringing the, the shit into into the blue hole. And so then he swims back in, goes to the blue hole, la da 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 And about 15 minutes later, there's this other diver and he's just playing with some, like, he's just sitting on the platform and he's just playing with some, like, seaweed, some seaweedy stuff, just lifting it up, throwing it around, having a chat with some other guy. And then he looks to the guy and he goes, oh, mate. You're playing with my shit, and his shit has floated into the fucking blue hole, and he was just sitting there playing with it. 
I don't know what's more alarming though, like the fact that, like the guy was playing with the shit, or the guy's shit looked like seaweed, because that's some weird looking shit. Hundred uh, percent. Um, cool, man. Um, la- la- last couple of questions. Um, could you describe what the spearfishing experience means to you in one sentence? You, you could you could do this with freediving or spearfishing, because I know you're passionate about both. No, I, I okay. In one sentence. Uh, I feel like the spearfishing experience is the is when I become most primal and most like an ancient human. Nice. Okay. Cool. Who has been the most influential person or people in your freediving spearfishing? Ooh. I, okay. I have to say, my two main like dive buddies over the years. So I uh, actually so my two like training buddies, my primary training buddies are. The, the two British champions who one of them has two of the depth records and the other guy has the other two of the depth records and they're always going <laughs> for that. Um, yeah. uh, so that's, that's Mike Board and Dean Shoush. And uh, yeah. I can't, I'm, De- I've got Dean's living at my place at the moment. We're trained together. Uh, and oh, those sick. are the two who have been most influential in my, in my diving life. They, they just, you know, like uh, just you, 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 you share a lot with your training buddies, you know, through through the ups and the downs and the wars and the good the good the success and everything, you know. So yeah. And 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 for a lot of us looking in, we see Adam Stern, the eight times record holder, hundred and six meters. For for your for your mates, they've seen all your progress through the thick and the hard times to get where you got. So, and this this Adam, the bloke who talks too much. That <laughs> <laughs> He shits himself when he does uh, good dynamics. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Hey, what's your clean-up strategy for shitty wetsuits? Straight to the shower. Straight to the shower. You just flush it straight, flush the water straight through the wetty. All right, last question. Um, this will really test your integrity. What's the single best resource for improving your spearfishing or freediving? Oh, the Noob Spiro podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Man, I've had a blast chatting with you, Adam. I haven't had a good laugh like this for for a couple of days. Um, oh, good. You're welcome back anytime, buddy. And um, is there anything people can come and check out? Obviously, we've already plugged the hell out of your YouTube channel. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and um, I'm gonna, I am serious about doing a deep week in the very near future. I, th- I think I probably um, like the look of actually the Philippines one, but um, I don't know. I'll have to um, have a good look and a bit of a think about it. I think. Just work out which dates line up with when you get time off. I can kind of make it work a little bit, but yeah. Um, so we've talked about Deep Week, your YouTube channel. There's adamstern.com. Is it adamstern.com? Oh, adamfreediver.com. Adamfreediver.com. Yeah, if you head to adamfreediver.com, that's where like there's all the, the, the details for the Deep Weeks. There's where all the details. Just about everything. Like The, the other thing I suppose that we haven't spoken about or plugged, the other thing we haven't plugged shamelessly yeah. is uh, – it's uh, freedivingfamily.com, which is where we're making uh, all those sort of like those complete freediving manuals. So like, uh, you know, like for example, for the Frenzel course, there's, there's 21 bloody videos about, <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah. Sure we don't miss anything with, the, with people trying to learn Frenzel. Um, so they're very in-depth and very detailed. And then obviously when you, when you get one of those courses, I do a live stream every two weeks. So people can jump in and ask me whatever questions they want. And so I also like, you know, if you, you, you buy those courses, you get access to the live streams forever. Ah, sick, man. 
Cool, cool. I'll link all that up in today's show notes at noobspirit.com forward slash Adam. Um, if people want to go and listen to some more interviews with you, you've been on um, Free Dive Cafe, which I've been starting to listen to lately. There's some bloody good interviews on there. And uh, it's a cool podcast, man. I like it. And um, if, you know, people have listened to all 116 of these Noob Spiro ones, I don't mind if they go over and listen to all whatever he's got over there. But um, there's some fantastic episodes there. Recommend people go and listen to your ones over there. So yeah, hey, awesome chat today, Adam. Um, man, let's 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 get out of here. Hundred percent. All right, cool, man. All right, it's been good. It's been a good chat. Guys, Adam Stern. Um, what an absolute pleasure to have on the show. Huge takeaways today. He challenged a number of my ideas and assumptions, and uh, and that's no different than every other week on the on the show. Um, it's it's interesting the wonderful takes that people have on the sport. And uh, freediving can be a highly technical sport. Adam spent years, you know, looking at it. You can tell from today's interview we just scratched the surface. I'd encourage you to go and um, subscribe to Adam Freediver on YouTube. Uh, really phenomenal guy. I love his uh, enthusiasm. His passion. He's bloody infectious. He's a he's a super cool bloke and uh, hope you got a bit out of today's episode. If you did, as usual, leave a review. Jump on patreon.com forward slash noobspiro. Become a patron listener and join 24, 25 other people on there supporting the show. Thanks guys. Every single dollar that goes to Noobspiro's Patreon is used to fund trips. Uh, I recently did the first one down to Melbourne. I got out for two full days diving. I did four episodes of uh, interviews. I'm, re- I'm about to head over to New Zealand and hook into some uh, kingfish chasing with uh, Nat Davey and Rochelle Potter. I'm going to get some interviews done while I'm there. I'm really looking forward to sharing those with you. Like I said, 2020 is just looking absolutely bloody awesome. Leave a review for the show if you love it. It's also great to hear from you. If you can email me anytime, shrek at namespirit.com. Again, also, if you want to become part of the community, get more involved, Patreon's there, but also New Spirit Community Group on Facebook. Come and join about 1,600, 1600 other legends in there, just sharing their spearfishing journey, and uh, we're all in this together. Hope you are going to shoot some fish in 2020 and have an absolute ball doing it with you. I'm out. Catch ya. Four strong reasons to shop at spearfishing.com.au. They have a price beat guarantee on any Australian price for spearfishing equipment if they stock it. $15 flat rate shipping across Australia. They've got a 30-day hassles-free returns policy. And you can save 20 bucks on every purchase over 200 by using the code NoobSparrow at checkout when you shop online. Added to that, if you order gear online, it arrives quickly. It's very well packaged. It's a literal no-brainer if you're a spear in Australia. Shop at spearfishing.com.au. Use the code NoobSparrow and save. Hey, hope you enjoyed today's Noob Spirit podcast. As usual, a ton of value, and I hope you can apply a couple of those tips to your own spearfishing. But if you want even more stoke, I want you to go to noobspiro.com forward slash more stoke and sign up for the floater, Noob Spiro's email newsletter. In your inbox, you'll get 10 tips to get better at spearfishing in PDF. You'll also get the dive day checklist as well as exclusive discount codes from the show sponsors. Check it out, noobspiro.com forward slash more stoke. 